Okay, so I'm going to welcome uh, our guests to the Trump Watch Sussex podcast. I'm Doug Haynes um, from the University of Sussex, and with me are Clodagh Harrington from De Montfort University and Alex Warden from Leicester University. And today we're going to talk about the backstory of Trump and the Obama legacy, uh, so the way that Donald Trump is undoing or trying to undo Obama's legacy. So let me first ask um, my two guests what kind of work they've been doing on Trump in the recent past. So maybe starting with Clodagh. Okay, hi Doug, pleasure to be here. Um, I think what we're trying to do so far is, with the caveat of not having any meaningful conclusions yet, because it's too soon to say, but but the, 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 the thinking and writing that we've been doing to date is about, you know, what is it that Trump is actually trying to do in terms of establishing the, his his uh, policy priorities as a president. And, and what we're sort of focusing on is the notion that Trump is quite specifically, I think, looking to undo various aspects of the Obama legacy. And that seems to be quite a sort of a personalized approach. It isn't necessarily based on replacing what's there with something better or other. It's more really about undoing it. And so that's what we've been looking at in various different um avenues so far, rather it's the uh, Iran deal or climate change or immigration or uh, reproductive rights issues or that kind of thing, um, and just trying to work out what is actually going on, is there a clear agenda to this, and is there more to it than just dismantling what came before? And Alex? Yeah, um, just building on that, we're looking across a range of sort of different areas of policy, both domestic and foreign. Um, I guess most of both our backgrounds so far has been in domestic policy, um, particularly on my side, for example, looking at health care policy. I spent a lot of time thinking and writing about Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act and, and now looking at how Trump, Trump's trying to repeal that. Clodagh's spent a lot of time looking at the advances, for example, in um, same-sex rights or transgender rights during the Obama era and the extent to which Trump is again trying to take steps back from that. So part of what we're doing is trying to think about how legacy gets established, to what extent did Obama actually achieve stuff, uh, and how possible it's been for Trump to, to roll that back. And, and you know, so it's a, clearly it's an important story, and it's, it's an interesting story, not just in terms of dynamics between Obama and Trump, because as, as Claude says, Trump seems to be extraordinarily motivated by undoing Obama. I mean, all presidents who succeed a president of the, of the opposite party are highly likely to campaign against the, the, you know, the previous incumbent of the White House. But Trump seems to have taken it to a different level, in not having too much of a positive agenda of his own, but thinking, mostly thinking in terms of rolling back um, you know, what's happened during the Obama year. So it's thinking about, about Trump and thinking about presidential legacy more generally. Is this something to do with the fact that Trump can't really get anything legislative done? And uh, so he's just going for what he can get. He's going for low-hanging fruit. He's just going, he's being destructive because he can't, you know, he, he can't organize the, the, the creative push necessary for new legislation or has no vision for it. Is that a, a possible explanation? I think, I think there's certainly some, some value to that. I mean, one could be cynical and say, you know, that this is supposed to be his honeymoon period and this is where he has his Republican majority in Congress to see this is where he has the, the, the win behind him um, in the Supreme Court with his his recent uh, conservative 
appointment. So this should be the time where he's able to push things through with very little resistance. Um, uh, the, the reality is that, that that is not the case. Um, and obviously, we're mindful, again, about it. It, it really is early on in the administration to be drawing any meaningful conclusions. Mm. But if you look at, you know, what sort of um, the, the, the conventional methods for judging presidential success are, um, you know, the things like um, achieving legislative priorities hasn't scored so well on that so far. I mean, it's too soon to talk about things like re-election possibilities or, you know, things like using the veto, that kind of thing. But um, in terms of getting the public on board with his agenda, what he seems to be doing so far is just kind of reinforcing his message to his own base and, and consistently telling them, you know, stick with me. I've got your back. I've got your agenda. I will promote it to the nth degree and making no effort at all to reach out. So, so far, again, you know, bearing in mind that, that the amount of time that's passed, there doesn't seem to be an overt display of political skill in terms of um, making his agenda happen and, and putting things into place meaningfully. And by meaningfully, I mean beyond executive orders and sort of policy via tweet, which is sort of where we are to date. Yeah, I mean, that, I agree with everything Chloe just said. I think there are, there are two two ways of thinking about this. One, just to, to focus on Trump specifically, but the other is to think just about, again, about the, the capacity of presidents to get things done. I mean, Obama found himself increasingly frustrated. So it's, Trump's not the first one to find it difficult to get legislation through Congress. Obama resorts, uh, Republicans perhaps had some justification in accusing Obama of stretching... Um, the use of executive actions and um, the administrative presidency to, to the limits. Um, it's, it's always difficult to get things done. I think what makes Trump... What's, what's fascinating about Trump in this context is he doesn't really have any idea of what he wants to get done. He doesn't really have any policy chops. I think, say, for example, during the, the recent uh, debate over health care reform, you know, Trump would say he was ready to sign something. It didn't really matter what. He had no interest in the detail of policy in that context. Though equally, to be fair on Trump, I think he had a legitimate complaint that Republican members of Congress, having said for seven years that they wanted to repeal and replace Obamacare, didn't actually have a plan for how they were, how they were going to go about doing that. So, it's, one, it's difficult for any president to get stuff done, and two, it's even more difficult when you actually don't have a grasp of the details. So you can't offer any real leadership on these different policy domains. I mean... The, the, the big issue coming up with Congress now is tax reform. And if they fail to get that done, then it's going to have been a pretty dismal year in legislative terms with no major legislation passed in the first year. The jury's out whether they will get tax reform done. There's, they're probably more united around tax cuts than, um, than around health care reform. But yes, for sure. It's, he's, 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 Trump likes to say lots has been done. There's lots of quotes you can find from him where he says nobody's done as much as me, perhaps except for Roosevelt at a depression. Um, but actually, in substantive terms, not a lot has been done. Uh, so, well, thinking about legacy, um, many presidential scholars offer a framework with which to consider individual presidents. And, you know, there is a kind of a way, there's a continuity, there's a way that we can think about them in, in a line or against each other. But um, considering how out of the box Trump and his presidency is, is there a way to fit him into a frame or, or is he just entirely anomalous uh, in, in, in the ways that you've been describing? Thinking about his his achievements and, and his way of being as a president to date, I would say perhaps anomalous is, is the word to go with. I mean, he, he gave a, a talk um, in, in Ohio in, in July of this year, and uh, 
he said to the audience, he said, I, I'm the most uh, presidential president there's ever been, <laughs> with the exception well. of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> so he was gracious enough to acknowledge that Lincoln um, was, you know, the most presidential president. And I thought what was interesting is that there there isn't actually any measure of how presidential a president is. There are loads of measures of greatness. And this is, I suppose, where Alex and I are trying to frame our, our work. In terms Presidentiality of, is a difficult it's yeah. It's a new quality. concept. And, and maybe yeah. we've just been missing a trick <laughs> all along. Because, I mean, there are many scholarly rankings of, of uh, you know, presidential achievement and accomplishment and all of that. And obviously, you know, as we said earlier, it, it's too soon to, to, to judge him on a lot of things. And, that, and that's absolutely, you know, important to remember. But uh, like one of the... Um, the rankings that I particularly like um, is the, the 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 six criteria that Fred Greenstein uses because the, the, his his are a bit more esoteric. They're things like vision and emotional intelligence and uh, communication skills, and they're the sort of things that you could measure um, almost on a case by case basis. You don't necessarily have to have the eight years of of, of kind of retrospection to, to to make some calls on that. And I think again. Thinking about Trump, just to maybe take one or two examples from that, you know, the, the vision, it, it's it's there, but it's thin. And also, I think, you know, in the way, you know, Ronald Reagan came in with a, with an epic vision of, of what to do for the country. And I don't know that he was a details man, but he convinced everyone that he had a plan. And that was very reassuring, you know, at the yeah. time and make America great and all the rest of it and so you can see Trump is kind of trying to channel that to an extent with his make America great again and even the you know some of the rhetoric he uses is quite Reagan-esque because he knows you know everybody loves Reagan or every Republican loves Reagan and has mm. sort of nostalgic happy memories of him so the vision is there at a glance but the minute I think you push past and try and find some substance you're back to the vision being make America great again which is fairly generic and I will undo what my predecessor has done with no detail on how, how the replacement will actually roll out so I don't know that he scores very well on vision and the other very interesting Greenstein criteria I think is um, to do with emotional intelligence and you know that is something that has become much more um, understood, I suppose, maybe in the past couple of decades, the, the fact that it even has a term to explain it that didn't exist before. I think the yeah. term, term is maybe 20 years old or something. But I think Trump has not yet displayed the capacity for emotional intelligence. You know, he's thin-skinned. He's very quick to retaliate. He he sort of has an us and them, in, out, winners, losers, you're with us against us kind of approach. And that's not very constructive I don't think when you're supposed to be reaching out to all sorts of people who aren't necessarily going to line up with, with how you are so he doesn't score high on emotional intelligence and I think that is like a major concern on, on lots of levels okay and, and that's kind of emotional maturity that you're talking about in a way isn't it intelligence and maturity he doesn't seem to have that even though he's no, not not particularly. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't demonstrated in his presidential role to date. I think would be a fair way to put it. And maybe it is that he will grow on the job. You know, Bush forty three grew on the job very much as as a, a recent example. But Trump is seventy mm. years old or thereabouts. So one would imagine he's not going to radically transform he, finished, and be a younger as a, as a man might. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's 71. I, I, I mean, I, people can change. I, but he seems unlikely to. Um, I think, yeah, the point about his emotional intelligence, you can really see it in, in his thin skinness, I think, in terms of the way he reacts um, to any criticism, his, he lashes back. So the, 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 the recent example, a very powerful one, I think, is 
um, the mayor of San Juan, who offered some criticisms of him uh, and demanded help. And yes, she was critical of, of the, the FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, in their response. But you know, as the president should be above that. You think, in, in particularly at a time of crisis when lots of people, you know, um, in, 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 in real dire straits, and yet his his, his instinct is to lash back. Um, and interestingly, I think one of the things I found about that episode rather distressing was the way in which I've forgotten his name now, but the, 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 the chief of FEMA also lashed. He he almost who had actually been praised for doing a good job of being professional, in t- particularly in, in 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 Houston and in Florida, but also felt obliged clearly to lash back at the mayor of San Juan. You think, well, that his that's not his role. But he Trump seems to demand of subordinates that they support him. Um, even if supporting him means demeaning themselves. So I think this thin-skinnedness is really problematic and you know, mm-hmm. emotional intelligence is completely lacking. And that, I think, is is something which... It's very difficult to... You know, if we think about presidencies, it's very difficult to think about how we factor that in in terms of, you know, presidents... Even... even pre- if you, you know, presidents have become very divisive figures. Bill Clinton... Um, George W. Bush and Barack Obama. If you look at um, approval ratings, you look at polarization attitudes towards them. They were all they were divisive. If you didn't like them, you weren't particularly going to give them much benefit of the doubt. But at least in rhetorical terms, they tried to be. You know, they would try and say the right things at the right time in terms of the country is united. But Trump really seems to have very little regard for that sort of role of the president. So that's why it's one of the reasons why it's hard to fit him in because he just doesn't behave like the other ones. And the, the presidentiality of the president, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm almost tempted to think of that as like a postmodern president, you know, it's, it's purely appearance and style and that we've reached some kind of extra level of, you know, there is nothing underneath it, which I suppose also makes us think about whether this destruction of Obama's legacy is whether it does have, and we, we don't think there is, I think, from the conversation so far, but whether it does have any ideological content, if there is any actual direction that he's going in. I, is, is there anything? Is there anything positive or positively ideological, let's say, in there? I guess, we, you know, things, you know, there is a long way to go, yeah. But Claude referred earlier to Reagan and the way in which, you know, Reagan has become the icon uh, for, for the contemporary Republican Party, but... Trump doesn't seem particularly Reagan-esque in a sense. So he doesn't actually seem particularly conservative. There was there was a moment during the campaign he was, he was talking about trade actually rather than um, as a specific issue. But he said it's, it's called the Republican Party, not the Conservative Party. So Trump doesn't seem, and, and particularly if you look at sort of Paul Ryan, how Speaker, his view of the world, which whether you like it or not, there's a coherent vision. There is a sense of where he wants to take the country. And Trump just doesn't seem to really fit into that and actually during the campaign he said some he did refer to issues and and spoke in a way which just simply wasn't conservative in 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 the in the modern sense you know he talked about the social security program the public pension program and he said you know republicans have been stupid for attacking that republicans have have been wrong in attacking medicare so in some ways he actually defended some big government program so there isn't much evidence of any consistent ideological um approach over time and i think in terms of the issue, particularly in terms of some of the cultural issues where, you know, historically Trump has not been on the conservative side of the equation, but he's now very mm-hmm. firmly there. Well, yeah, we'll get along to that in, in a minute. I mean, Chloe, have you got any things to add to that about the ideological nature of Trump? Yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's a very telling quote from um, The Economist uh, about a week ago 
Um, it was in the um, or in relation to the the topic of the NFL players taking the knee um, during the national anthem at recent games, and the Economist, which is normally such a you know a bastion of objectivity and its language is very measured and all the rest of it, and they're obviously just you know kind of in despair at this point, and and the, the, they said sowing discord with no regard for the consequences beyond how they may affect his mood and standing is Mr. Trump's compulsion and political method. Now, though, I thought that is a very unusual statement for a publication like that to make. And it just sort of flags up the fact that he his his way is really quite reactive. And so it's back to the, 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 the issue of being thin skinned and the lack of emotional intelligence, the lack of a, a sort of a detailed, constructive, forward looking policy vision. It's it's more all about sort of be, being reactive and undoing. It's, it's, it's sort of a negative one. And I think one mm. one could be a. A, a, a true conservative or a loyal Republican and still have a lot of problems with what he's trying to do and how he's trying to do it because he is being divisive and there is little authenticity I think to a lot of what he's promoting and I think I, I don't know how long it might take for his supporters to see through that or, or, or maybe they never will I don't know but is, is, is some of this working though I mean you're, you're, it's, it's negative and destructive but is some of it doing the job that he wants it to do and if so what is that job? It's working uh, well. I, it depends on how we define working. So if we're, we're talking in, in, in terms, he's still in office. <laughs> yeah, we're still. Yes, he is still in office. Um, uh, I mean, there, just to backtrack a little bit, I, I, um, there, there are some Republicans who, who have been quite outspoken. Um, some of them almost because they've, they've almost on a personal level they seem to fall out. Which was Bob Corker had this um, row last week. Uh, he's a senator from Tennessee, in which he. You know, talked about the White House now being an adult daycare centre. Um, uh, but other, you know, there have been some more consistent voices. Jeff Flake, the senator from Arizona, who um, has been a consistent critique of Trump. He actually votes with him most of the time, but there's been a consistent critique. Now, in terms of, but what's interesting there is that um, Flake's up for re-election in 2018, and he clearly is going to get a, a, a primary challenge. Uh, in Arizona, and Trump is quite explicitly encouraging and fostering that primary challenge. And at the moment, Flake's not doing well in the polls. There's a long way to go. But in, so in the sense of, if from Trump's point of view, one definition of working is that he's winning the battle within the Republican Party, that is perhaps indicative of that. More generally, in terms of working, I, the, his success in terms of actually rolling back the Obama legacy is a little... is is. Well, we've already discussed it. There's been no real legislative movement, though he has used the power of the White House in other ways to, to bring about some changes. But I, it depends how we define success. Um, in, for, 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 again, in terms of normally we can we know how we define success for a president, but Trump just I don't, he breaks rules every day, and 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 it makes it difficult to sort of apply the normal rules mm. when we're trying to judge him. Yeah. Should we move on? To America first, as an example of uh, you know, maybe the, the sincerity test. We're thinking we've been thinking about whether whether he means it or not, whether it, you know, or it's just all substance and style and the presidentiality of the president, which is a phrase I'm going to you know stick sticks with me. Um, so, how how authentic is America first as an agenda, Chloe? I think there are aspects of it that are probably quite authentic and the, the two that, that, that sort of spring to mind um, kind of immediately are to do with um, trade and immigration I think all the way through on the campaign trail and, and even still now as president when Trump talks about 
those issues, he seems to be coming from a place of authenticity. Just the, the, the words, his delivery, his body language, everything. It's like he, he's there in the moment and he means it. And obviously trade is connected with business and that is what he knows, etc. Um, so on those things, I think he probably scores quite highly. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you agree with what he's saying or not. It's just more about, um, you know, is he coming across as somebody who, who means what he says? Um, on, on the maybe kind of softer issues where his culturally conservative base will be um, uh, concerned about, I'm really not so sure. I mean, again, it's back to that sort of the notion of the, the, the Faustian pact. You know, he was certainly not the most religious, not the most culturally conservative uh, candidate by any means compared to Cruz or Perry or Santorum or, or any of those mm-hmm. last year. Um, and as the time progressed and all the others fell by the wayside, you know, there was this sense that the evangelicals particularly looking going, OK, well, He's not our choice, but now he's our guy, sort of by default. So we yeah. need to get behind him. And there was a reluctance for sure. But he, you know, he he, he threw the red meat out there. And one of the key um, uh, promises or pledges or whatever, if you like, was the, 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 the promise to, to replace um, Justice Scalia, you know, like with like kind of thing. I will get another cultural conservative for you mm-hmm. if you vote me in. And, you know, to his credit, he did that very early on. So he gets a huge sort of moment of appreciation and gratitude from his, his culturally conservative base there. And there is that sense that, you know, if he's impeached tomorrow or, or, or he leaves office tomorrow for whatever reason, you know, Gorsuch is going nowhere. Gorsuch is 49. So yeah, he's yeah. there for the long haul. And that in itself is, is a huge comfort, I think, to a lot of people. So authentic or not, he th- there are points where he delivers. And, you know, I mean, there uh, another example that would spring to mind is the, uh, the, the the choice of Mike Pence as vice president. You know, it's th- there was a touch of the uh, McCain Palin 2008 double act in that sense, in, in, in terms of, you know, I am not authentically religious as your presidential candidate, but hey, but Mike you know, is. <laughs> how, how about this governor of Indiana? Look at his cultural, uh, you know, culture wars record. It's pretty staggering. And that's mm. a good thing or a bad thing, depending on, on where you're coming from. So his lack of authenticity has in some ways been compensated for by putting his money where his mouth is, if you like. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, mean, I think the America, America first just as a slogan, he, he does believe in. And I, I it's from a non-American perspective. It's a disturbing slogan, I think. Um, but, um, I mean, if anybody went now saying Britain first, you'd raise a very quizzical eyebrow about um, where they were coming from in that context. Um, I don't think he particularly thinks through what it means. Um, uh, but yes, he's authentic about that. The "Making America Great Again" is a, again. It's one of those slogans which. It's an interesting. There were different responses to that from from some liberals during the campaign. So the Hillary Clinton response was "America's great, still is great, and continues to be great, and we're all great." But for others in the, you know, particularly African Americans, who sort of say, "Well, when are you actually talking about this greatness? Is this greatness the 1950s when we still had segregation, which is clearly what Trump sort of meant in terms mm. of? I'm not sure, not saying that segregation was great, but in terms of you know, this idea of the great manufacturing in the U.S. as being the, the manufacturing capital. Um, so." Language, I guess, people who are used to trying to understand and think language is important and words are important. Um, again, Trump's is quite flummoxing because his language changes day to day. But America First is actually making America great again. They're two consistent pieces of rhetoric which he uses. So I think maybe we can try and pass those a little bit. Uh, okay. Um, and can we extend this outward a little bit? Um, 
in terms of the other culture wars? I mean, we've talked about them a little bit, but um, things like, for example, reproduction rights. Is it possible to think about those in terms of uh, Trump's deeply held or not so deeply held religious beliefs? I mean, how, how is he? I mean, this is a quite a big issue for many people right around the world, in fact, since uh, since he signed off on the Global Gag Act. Um, so uh, how does this work in? Yeah, I think, again, the, the question of authenticity uh, comes to the fore. I mean, if, if you look back on, on the, the kind of the public quotes from Trump, the businessman, on, on, let's say, things to do with reproductive rights, abortion, that sort of stuff, um, he, he never presented to somebody with strong views at all. Um, and then as the, as the election came nearer and his quotes were sort of being gathered by journalists and the like, you know, the, the, the general tendency was, his kind of strap line was, um, I'm against abortion, comma, with exceptions. So that that's quite <laughs> loose language. Is, if you line that up next to... A bit of wriggle room there. Other, there. There is wiggle room, for yeah. sure. You know, so that's, again, going back to this notion of, 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 of the, the, the religious right being unsure about what he was going to offer. You know, is he going to be the man that we need him to be kind of thing? So hence these, like I said, the, the, the Supreme Court and the vice presidential um, offerings were very important in that sense. And then, you know, as soon as he um, is the candidate and the, the, the television um, interviews are coming thick and fast, you know, sort of a, a year ago, basically. I mean, there, there are times when he is put on the spot and it's clear that he hasn't thought these issues through, not in any meaningful way. I mean, there's a great um, quote from, from a, um, I think it's an MSNBC interview where he's pushed and pushed and pushed and, and his language, he keeps talking about them, like he's talking about them as in the religious right, the cultural conservatives. He's yeah. them. So he's not e equating them with himself. It's, it's, he's not talking about us. Hmm. And he's pushed and pushed. And finally, on, on the question of abortion, he says to the interviewer, I'm against it. I want to ban it. They should be punished. Did like, he decide it just there and then? Do you think? <laughs> so it, it's like he is thinking on the spot. And even the way, I mean, there's a video of, of that interview and he's looking up to the right, which is kind of the imagination side of your brain. And it's like, okay, <laughs> okay. this is really thinking on the hoof. And then if you look on, or, you know, at the time on the GOP website, when it, the, the, their section on abortion, the language is actually very compassionate. I mean, what everyone thinks about the, their position, it's all about offering support to women who are in distress. It's about generous funding for um, for adoption, for fostering, for all of these kinds of, you know, um, non-abortion type solutions to your situation, if you like. Right. But not the kind of punitive language that he was using. So he has to walk back very distinctly after that interview and say, no, I'm with Ronald Reagan and whatever Reagan's position was, he just sort of repeated it for bottom. But it just made you think he, he is not sincere about what he's saying. here. He's saying what he thinks needs to be heard. And I suppose then that does not make him a real culture warrior, but it makes him a spokesman, maybe a culture warrior spokesman. Mm -hmm. And as time has gone on, he's gotten more and more comfortable in that role and I think that's what people are sort of holding on to now going okay well, well he'll do he might not be able to quote the Bible at length but you know he'll, he'll talk the talk and that, that's good enough yeah well he's the president after all so that's a very powerful figure <laughs> to have as an advocate yeah yeah I mean I've not got much to add uh, to Claudia's point there. I mean oddly I, going slightly off track I, I've, in some ways Trump clearly it was, I think it was the MSNBC Chris Matthews I think was interviewing and, and, he, and he made this point about women the, you know, the women who have abortions should be punished for doing so and that's not 
the, the sort of Republican playbook, though you might, in some ways, it's more intellectually consistent actually than, than the Republican playbook. Um, so just Trump just didn't know the playbook well enough. I mean, just going back to the point we've already mentioned, but here Gorsuch is the the litmus test and, and the appointment of Gorsuch for, for some conservatives just makes everything else, everything that they may not really like about Trump, the appointment of Gorsuch is very clearly going to be a, um, a, you know, a very strong conservative voice across not just cultural issues but across all issues and um, that makes all of this worthwhile Okay, well thank you very much both of you, I think um, what we've established is that, that there is a sense of continuity uh, in certain ways and through appointments and through um, taking on the role of being the spokesman for certain kinds of groups, although it's very difficult to actually put President Trump, Donald Trump himself, into a... He doesn't fit the mould of a president very much. He's just kind of inventing that role as, as we go on right at the moment. That's, is that the kind of conclusion that we could come to from that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's uh, inventing. Uh, maybe that's. Yeah, He's I, inventing uh, too strong. <laughs> yes. He's extemporizing. Yes, extemporizing is a better word for it. And I think he's extemporizing it across all aspects. So, you know, I, I would love that, I mean, not mean love, but in the sense of, you know, from, from, a, from, from the point of view of, of somebody who's trying to examine this president, if there was something we could put our finger and say, that's Trumpism. Um, but I'm not sure that we're anywhere near that yet. Uh, and uh, this is. But I guess it's. Every day there's something to keep you occupied. That's true. Close it. Um, yeah, I suppose there's just one observation to do with, you know, how, how his leadership style has been described by, um, you know, business executives who, who have worked with him. And they said he, he has a command and control way of doing things. And, and I wonder, will that soften over time in terms of, you know, he's used to being the CEO. He says a thing, it gets done. That's the end of that. That's obviously not working now. And he's finding out how difficult being president and running the country and getting stuff done actually is. So maybe over time, there might be a softening when he realizes that, you know, his pl plan A is not working out very well. So maybe has he got the sort of the capacity to go to plan B and, and think a bit differently about how we can use his power? Because obviously he's going to have his mind on the history books isn't he? Nobody wants to go down as a failure. And even a one-term president is sort of considered a failure. Mm. So maybe he will be savvy and, and canny and, and think again about how the next couple of years can play out because, you know, 2018 is looming, as is 2020. Clodagh Harrington, Alex Wadden, thank you very much. Thank you.